Amid an influx of illegal border crossers at Roxham Road, conservative leader Pierre Polyev is calling on the Trudeau government to close the illegal border crossing within the next 30 days. Ontario Tech University is refusing to release a list of 300 so-called far-right extremist groups operating in Canada, a list that has been cited by the media and also the Liberal government to bolster impending anti-hate legislation. A Liberal MP accused Conservatives of using, quote, Trump-type tactics for questioning past election results amid a Globe and Mail report which outlined CSIS documents revealing a People's Republic of China strategy to influence the 2021 election. Hello Canada, it's Wednesday, February 22nd, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Anthony Fury. And I'm Andrew Lawton. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. The number of migrants illegally crossing into Canada through Roxham Road in Quebec has surged again in recent months, and now increasing calls from Quebec leaders say their communities cannot accommodate the migrants. In the face of all of this, Conservative leader Pierre Polyev is calling on the Trudeau government to close this illegal border crossing within 30 days. Now, during a press conference on Tuesday, Polyev blamed the influx of migrants on Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. Here's what that sounded like. What's your solution on that? Like, Close you, like, Roxham Road. No, but like with a, with like yeah. a fence, with a, a wall, Close. with... Close Roxham like, Road. How would you do it without violating international law or the Safe Third Country Agreement? Uh, we, under international law, we have borders. And we are in charge of our borders. We closed Roxham Road during COVID. And nobody ruled it unconstitutional. Nobody found that it broke the law. The Prime Minister has had six years to find a solution to close Roxham Road. He has the Canadian Border Service Agency. He has the entire Justice Department. He has Immigration and Refugee Services Canada all at his fingertips. It is his job to protect our borders. He said six years since the influx began. It is his job to close the border, and we're calling him to do it at, that, at, at the Roxham Road passage within 30 days. You know, before... Justin Trudeau, we had the safe third country agreement. And that didn't prevent us from protecting our borders, right? We didn't have the rocks and roll problem before Justin Trudeau. We had the safe third country agreement. So what is clear is the problem is not the safe third country agreement. It is not the refugees themselves. It's not Joe Biden. It is Justin Trudeau because the problem happened only with Justin Trudeau in power. Now, Trudeau, in turn, was also asked about Roxham Road on Monday, and here is what he said. Um, over the past years, we've had a, a, a higher number of people coming in through Roxham Road in Quebec, uh, which has uh, caused a certain amount of consternation, not so much that we can't handle, but we have to be really present to make sure that we're supporting people as they, as they come through while discouraging them from doing that at the same time. Polyev's comments come as Quebec Premier Francois Legault wrote to the Prime Minister on Monday, urging Trudeau to redirect all asylum seekers entering Quebec to other provinces as soon as they arrive at the border. Now, Legault also called on Trudeau to make the Roxham Road crossing a top priority for his upcoming meeting with U.S. President Joe Biden and to renegotiate the safe third country agreement. 
Andrew, what's very interesting here is that we did have a lull period where the numbers went down and we actually successfully closed Roxham Road during COVID-19 as it was deemed fully unsafe to just allow people to enter your country uh, unchecked and without health checks. Things were in, of course, full border lockdown, but we see ourselves increasing again uh, like we had been in previous years. I mean, we've proven we can shut it down before. What's the issue here? Yeah, you're right about that. The COVID situation is the proof of concept that border security is actually possible within existing Canadian laws and existing Canadian authorities like the Canadian Border Services Agency, like uh, also the RCMP. So it is a little rich that the government just now throws its hands up and, and says, oh my goodness, we don't we don't know what to do. It's not so much that we can't handle, but well, you, you can handle it even before they get there. I mean, just imagine the reverse. Does anyone think that the United States would be allowing a stream of illegal migrants to be going from north to south across that border point? Now, uh, the reality is Canada is doing a tremendous service for the United States right now because a lot of these people would be facing deportation in the U.S., so they just continue their journey north because Canada is establishing a reputation of being a sanctuary country at this point. No, certainly. And New York City Mayor Eric Adams, who is no right-wing figure, he's a Democrat, he's still finding the influx of migrants to his city untenable. And he's saying, hey guys, here's a bus ticket so you can travel up to uh, northern New York State and then you can get on a taxi, you can go to Roxham Road, so let's pass the buck to another country. And if Canada is is willing to accept or at least unwilling to deter people from arriving, let's make it their problem. And I think it's showing that we're, I guess, being played here a little bit, and we want to just deal with the origins of the problem here. And we'd like to see, I think, more from the prime minister, at least this is what politicians are saying, opposition MPs, the Quebec government, to signal, oh, please don't actually cross here. Because right now that, that infamous tweet he put out, which internal government documents have proven were a sign of motivation for people to cross, He's never actually retracted that. No, and, and I think there's a disconnect between the message that uh, Trudeau and company are putting out, that hashtag welcome to Canada message, and what is at, at oftentimes, I think, a very superficial and very surface level desire to close down the border. I mean, even that comment that Justin Trudeau made that we shared a few moments ago was not unequivocal and unambiguous. It wasn't, this is illegal, you will be arrested, do not come here. It was, well, we have to support the people that do while also discouraging it that that's not the tough line that is needed here so I, I think it's actually good that Pierre Polyev is not letting this go to justify its forthcoming anti-hate speech legislation, the Trudeau government often cites 300, quote, far-right extremist groups operating in Canada. There is a bit of a problem, though. No one has ever seen this list of groups, which was assembled by an academic, not by the government, and not by anything that has been subject to transparency or scrutiny. In response to an access to information request from True North to have Ontario Tech University whose professor Barbara Perry has identified the group, administrators used a provision of the Privacy Act to prevent such a release of the list. Administrators cited certain exemptions in the Freedom of Information Act that uh, bar the release of records 
quote, associated with research conducted or proposed by an employee of an educational institution or by a person associated with an educational institution, unquote. In 2020, Ontario Tech professor Barbara Perry, who's the director of the Center on Hate, Bias, and Extremism, concluded in a $366,000 taxpayer-funded study that there were 300 active far-right groups operating in Canada. Uh, Perry is often quoted in the media where this uh, 300 figure is carried unquestioningly. She's been cited extensively by Public Safety Canada. She's testified before the House of Commons, but nowhere has she ever produced this list publicly to let people audit whether these are actually far-right groups and, and whether it justifies the overarching claim, especially when this has been used by the federal government to justify a political agenda. Uh, the most recent example of this was the Minister of National Defense's advisory panel on systemic racism and discrimination, which cited that claim again. So the idea of accepting the conclusion without seeing the underlying premise seems to be certainly an academic problem, but I would say a political problem as well. Yeah, and also rolling out a legislative solution without being really clear on unpacking what is the problem and having a robust discussion about that. These 300 groups, how can we quantify them? How can we also qualify them in terms of what does it mean to be an extremist group? Does this mean that there are Facebook groups with uh, a few dozen people on them that are posting uh, offensive memes? Or does it mean, because when some people hear the phrase far-right extremist group, they mean uh, a group of people gathering in a sort of paramilitary fashion, arming themselves and preparing for violent attacks. If the latter is correct, and if there are 300 of those such groups, we obviously have a very serious problem that needs an extremely robust intelligence and law enforcement uh, solution immediately. It's not something one should be dragging their feet on for, for three years. If it's the former, okay, well, I don't know, some people are saying a few rude things on the internet. So where is it? And, and I don't think we've been uh, informed of where this falls on the spectrum. Yeah, you're right. And, and I think there are two dimensions of this. There, there's the question of what's meant by far right. And there's also the question of what's meant by group. Are, are we talking about sophisticated, complex national networks? And are we talking about ones that really have a, a violent desire? Or are we talking about, because again, we see the media uh, use the term far right without really defining what it is, just to describe someone who may be slightly more conservative than Andrew Coyne. So uh, what's Barbara Perry's definition of far right and how is she applying that? I mean, these are pretty key questions. And if she stands by her work, she should want this published and have no issue with this seeing the light of day. So the fact that this has been going on for years now is very concerning. One politician claims it is Trump-like to question past election results amid new reports of Chinese interference in the 2021 federal election. At least that's according to Liberal MP Jennifer O'Connell. The parliamentarian made the comments during a procedure and House Affairs Committee meeting, which was recalled due to revelations made by the Globe and Mail, which outlined CSIS documents that revealed the Beijing Communist Party was actively working to secure a liberal minority government in 2021. Here's what those comments sounded like. The information that has been reported in the media is extremely serious. But it's something that has never been denied by the fact that these reports have been tabled in the House of Commons. This is sadly not new information. The only thing that's new is the Conservatives, I guess, are not happy with the other business that PROC is doing. 
and they simply want to only talk about this because they have one candidate in particular that they feel this has been affected by. But foreign interference isn't about one candidate or 11 candidates. About, it's about Canadian institutions. And this is the same Trump-type tactics to question election results moving forward. But what I'm curious about was where were the Conservatives after 2019? Where were they in 2020, 2021? And now only now they're raising it in 2023? The committee was already looking into allegations of China's interference in the 2019 election. Committee members agreed to expand its study to include the 2021 election following the Globe report. Now, the Conservatives argue that the Trudeau government is downplaying the threat of China's interference in Canada's democracy. They claim that the Liberals have failed to take any, quote, meaningful action to protect our elections. Now, Andrew, the Prime Minister has countered, hey, don't worry, everything's totally secure and we have people looking into all of this. But the spin on all of this does suggest that they do just want to turn it into some sort of partisan game, this idea that Pierre Polyev makes a lot of noise about it, and then they try and flip it around on him. But I think most people, when they when they read these damning reports, they go, okay, this is a problem. And, and whatever their politics, whatever they vote for, they go, we should probably deal with this, because I think trust in Xi Jinping and the Beijing regime here in Canada is kind of rightfully at an all-time low. Absolutely. And we have a, a parliamentary system. And right now there's a minority government. So if even the a handful of seats were influenced by the government of another country or by any other actors, or even if a handful of votes in a large number of ridings were influenced directly or indirectly, this is a problem that we should want to get to the bottom of. Now, obviously, uh, the winner of an election is less motivated to uh, investigate that election than the losers are. But this should be a partisan issue. And I, I find it baffling that uh, this liberal MP, Jennifer O'Connell, goes to the laziest trope you can come up with in a critique, which is to call it Trump-like or Trump-type, whatever the specific wording here. And I would just turn that back at her and say, right now, she is uh, diminishing the work that was done by the free and independent press, by the Globe and Mail. So perhaps she's the one being Trump-like. That's it for today, and don't forget to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. And if you're able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.